Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I'm getting rid of the Comcast. You have to get a long one. Yeah, I'm getting rid of the Comcast overlords and getting uh, fiber internet, so. Ooh. Hopefully. You're going to have them fast speeds. Hopefully that'll. I use, I use uh, fiber internet. It's pretty good, so. Unless, unless you're talking about AT and T Uverse, no, I'm using uh, i3. Okay. My friends is like a manager for them, so I can boot some free deals and stuff. Gonna say I used to I used to have to sell AT and T Uverse, and they were uh, some false advertising motherfuckers. <laughs> they would always well, they would always talk about the fact that their lines are fiber, which is true. But the fiber only goes to what's called the node, which is like the the hookup for your neighborhood. And to everything from the node to your house is coax. So your speeds are the exact fucking goddamn same. Just you have slightly better bandwidth if you're closer to the node. But that's it. It is crazy. I don't I don't know how they got away with like lying to people. Does anybody can just do whatever they want now? We've determined. Yeah, it's you have to remember that they're a large corporation and they have lots of money. So truth solves that i always loved uh john oliver making fun of them even though they owned hbo take that business daddy that's right so do you want to do you want to complain about rob zombie now or do you want to wait till later i'll I'll complain at the end (laughs) okay otherwise (laughs) we're gonna get distracted (laughs) we're never gonna get through these movies (laughs) all right son of a bitch I did just watch, finally watch the trailer for Violent Night right before I came in here. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That looks absolutely delightful. <laughs> it really <laughs> fucking does. I just saw the poster that said, like, Die Hard with Santa Claus. And I just, I've been smiling ever since. <laughs> so you didn't watch the trailer? Yeah, I have watched it. Okay, I, I was going to say, you're, you were anti trailer for a while. I, I still kind of am, but this one's. Special exception? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem well, like this, a movie I, you could spoil. I, I was going to say it was a movie. No. I didn't even know it existed, that it was going to be a thing. So whenever I saw a trailer for something called Violent Night, I was just like, oh, great, a little B movie. And then I was like, oh, no, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like Fat Man without the anti-Semitism. It's time to watch that. Yeah, I can't. I just he really he really fucked things up. He did. Even movies I really want to see, I still watch them. I'm still mad the whole time. Like drag, dragged across concrete. I was really excited for, it and I watched it. And anytime he, he was on screen, I'm like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> but we're not here to complain about Mel Gibson. We're here to talk about Dracula and Frankenstein. 
Yeah, Dragonstein. Uh, oh, that's the name of our month, Dragonstein month. Dragonstein month. <laughs> Too bad it'll be mostly over before anyone hears this, but still. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Noah, do you want to run down Dracula for us? Okay. So, picture this. <laughs> it's Dracula. Uh, the big difference between the normal Dracula story and this one is that Jonathan Harker is already aware that Dracula is a vampire and he's been sent there by Van Helsing to like, I, I don't know, assassinate him or something. He doesn't do that a very good job about it. Uh, unfortunately, he gets uh, betrayed by one of them sexy, sexy brides. Even by one of them, but you mean by the only one that's in the movie? Yeah, the only yeah. one. Uh, plus, is it's Christopher Lee is Dracula, so that ain't that just ain't fucking happening, son. Because he he's mean, Dracula. <clears throat> yeah. If you're um yeah, if you're not Peter Cushing, probably don't try to fight Christopher Lee's Dracula. <laughs> That's just good life advice. Yeah. Before before we we before we even get to the next movie, can we all just take a moment and appreciate the fact that. Peter Cushing played every goddamn major horror movie character. Yeah. Yep. He he got on quite the tear with Hammer. Because he was even in their mummy movie, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This yep. this is noted just, this is noted as part of a trilogy of movies direct uh written by the same guy or directed by the same guy. I don't know. But it's it's like a unofficial guy for Hammer. Yeah, it's an unofficial trilogy of uh, Cushing plays the good guy and then Christopher Lee plays the monster. So they did it yep. in this, they did it in Frankenstein, they did it in The Mummy. Yeah, I don't know who dropped the ball on their Wolfman movie, but... Right? They did get Oliver, screwing it up. They did get Oliver Reed, though. I do kind of want to watch that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, so besides the Harker thing, really the only other major change is they kind of cut out the whole Carfax Abbey storyline and instead... They all kind of just live in the same area to begin with, although they don't sure. establish that whole, very well. There's a whole little mystery that they uh, that they have to go on when they're trying to find where Dracula is, because we get to watch fucking Van Helsing put on his Sherlock Holmes hat and go like investigating and like <laughs> questioning people about at the like border crossings of where the dirt I'm, was delivered and shit. I, I was going to say, and of course he does. You know why? Because Peter Cushing also fucking played Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> he was he he's sure did. Up, he up, the motherfuckers everywhere. Peter Cushing rules the fucking world. I know. Was there a movie it's from so 1960 until... to 1975 that Peter Cushing wasn't in? No. <laughs> not not certainly not one that was filmed over on that side of the ocean. He also played Doctor Who once. Twice. He did. Oh, did he do it twice? Right. I've never seen him. I knew he did it once for some like movies, American movie that doesn't actually isn't canon. Yeah. Doctor, Doctor Who versus the Daleks and fuck. I can't remember the other one's name. Vamp. All right. We're going to look it up on IMDb. <laughs> you don't have Vamp. to look it up. We could go back to talking about Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> no. <fine. laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, but no, Renfield, no Renfield, no Renfield either, and I feel like that's the biggest. 
The biggest mistake of this movie is no Renfield. Yeah, I think uh, the first half of this movie suffers from them deciding to do something different from the book. And just it's like, we need Renfield. The whole thing with Jonathan Harker already knowing he's there, like going over to attack Dracula. I didn't I don't like that. It kind of throws me off and it's you learn that he's there to assassinate Dracula like I don't know, five minutes into the movie and you're just like, well, I don't I don't want that to be what's going on in this movie. <laughs> so it kind of throws you off because it's it sets the tone for the whole movie to be different. Uh, once again, they swap out Lucy and uh, Mina, sort of. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing with those characters. No. Yeah, Mina. Like, Mina's with. Uh, it's not even Seward. Like, what's 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 Michael Goff's name in this? That's yeah, that guy. Wait, pause that yeah, thought. He's Peter Cushing was also the sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Stop that. It. Anyways, yeah, yeah, they they uh, really mess up their relationships in this one. Yeah. So like, yeah, Lucy and uh, that guy are uh, brother and sister. Yep. And uh, I don't know. Is I, I hate when they change all that relationship it, up because they don't really need to. Daleks invasion Earth twenty one fifty A.D. That's the other duck. Stop it. We're talking about Dracula. We're talking about Dracula. You can do a Peter Cushing month. We'll set one up. But right now we're talking about Dracula. We could just do um, a fucking Peter Cushing podcast. <laughs> all right. Also true. We'll dis- we'll discuss those options off mic. Let me talk about fucking Dracula. Guess what? Go ahead, He's a vampire, go ahead, Dracula. Um, oh, you asked oh, me what I thought. Uh, I uh, I love Christopher Lee's interpretation of Dracula. I don't like all the changes they made to the story, but I do, do enjoy the, this movie. Do you think the changes to the story were because somebody like had read the book or seen the movies of Dracula and then like tried to write this without going back and checking things. Cause that's what it feels like to me. It feels like, like uh, if you showed the original Dracula to somebody or you, or they'd read the book once and then like a couple of years later, you're like, now write a script for the movie and they never went back and double checked anything. They're just like, yeah, I think Lucy no. was married. Was it, uh, you know, why was Jonathan going there again? Was he a librarian? Sure, close enough. Like <laughs> no, see, a lot I of that stuff feels that way. I I really don't think so. I think Hammer was just really trying to put like their spin on it because so? they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't they don't tend to like to do things the exact same way that other people do. But they did. Like Hammer, aside from the original Universal movies, captured that whole. Uh, neo-gothic thing that they were doing so much better than most people do oh, that kind of atmosphere the, of uh the the visuals and the atmosphere in these films are great like i don't think anybody can take that away from them and ha- when hammer goes full hammer and starts telling original stories like both of these series go off in weird directions and it's like so much fun what they do with them later on in the series but they don't seem to be very good at retelling the original stories. Like they have trouble understanding what the original story was about, like removing the idea of Dracula planning a move to England and removing that whole element of like the plague of Dracula moving into London and stalking people and, you know, the gradual deaths and the like taking that out of it, 
really, really changes the story to something completely different and something a lot simpler. Right. Which is a strange decision to make. But once again, I think that's it's kind of part of what they just did. Because this this movie, they ship they shift the focus from Dracula to Helsing. And then once we get to Frankenstein, they shift the focus from the monster to the doctor. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Um, I think the big the big reason, which we can talk more about in the next movie. Is that uh, when they announced they were doing these movies? Uh, Warner Brothers threatened to sue the ever-living shit out of them if they were even remotely close to their to their versions. That's so. I'm guessing they may have. I know they definitely rewrote the the Frankenstein one. But they may have purposely, yeah, purposely rewrote it. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because they. I mean, you think about it. Like Frankenstein came out in '57. Like the universal movies were still kind of going until the mid fifties. Like, you know what I mean? It was barely after, um, like the house of Frankenstein and the house of Dracula, which I think were two of the last universal, like quote unquote Canon movies. Those were like in 54, 55, I think. So they were really like stepping on universal and Warner brothers toes. Like everybody who had like made previous movies was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. So that may have played a big part in it. Just like, we that need to do a, a semi-original story that's still the Dracula origin story. I have a I have a bit of a hot take in the uh, okay. in the opening scenes when Jonathan Harker first arrives at uh, Castle Dracula. I do not like Christopher Lee's performance Aww. at all. He like he looks great in the outfit and everything, and he's like the fact that he's a giant man really helps. But he just he seems like he's saying his lines as fast as he could possibly say them. Well, not trying to be ominous at all. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be scary? Like, why are you speed talking? Yeah, they don't do the they don't do much with Dracula in this movie. Which is crazy because the the other Dracula movies that kind of follow. They kind of go full bore. Yeah. Christopher Lee psychopath Dracula with him, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, so and and I think his performance is better in the second half of the movie. Like once him and Cushing are playing off each other, I think it gets much better. Like they elevate each other. But the first half, I was kind of like that whole first half of the movie. Like I'm like, I don't like Jonathan Harker being there for the reasons he's there. I'm not loving the performance. There's some really like dumb choices that the director makes. Like like when uh, the scene where Harker goes into the the basement of the castle and he's first of all he's like finds two vampires and he's like hmm, which one should i stake first because it might if i stake them it might wake up the other one should i stake the bride or the head vampire which one should i if i can only get one which one should i go for first and he picks the bride and then immediately after he stakes her he acts like the, the performance is as if he's like hurt by this somehow like this was a really difficult thing for him to do like you know but he traveled all the way there to stake a vampire. Like that was the whole point of him being there. It's not like he, you know, he was thinking of this as a person and, you know, was forced to do this against his will or something. This was, this was his mission. He should have been celebrating, not mourning. And then immediately after that, because when she screams, it wakes up Dracula, he turns around and what does Dracula do? Dracula sneaks out of the room just so he can turn around and make a dramatic entrance back into the room. <laughs> and the whole scene is just like, what is like, none of this is making any sense to me. And I'm like, it, it's just, 
it's frankly it's kind of poorly done like it's like if Dra- if you're going to have her screaming wake up dracula then you live with the fact that you don't get Dracula walking in the room and closing the door behind him and getting that kind of moment. You have to have him jumping up out of his coffin. You know, if you're going to have Jonathan Harker be the guy that traveled all the way there to slay vampires, then you can't act like he's tortured over the decision to stake a vampire. Like he's already made that decision before the movie started. I don't It's, it's very strange. Well, I I mean, I think the decision was because the sun was still setting. So the room still had some sunlight in it, so that's why he left. As soon as we see the sun go down, that's when he re-enters. I don't know if that's a good enough reason, but that's what I took from that. that maybe so. feels feels like you're adding that to the movie, or else it's, then then my criticism of the film switches to they didn't do a good enough job of showing that. So they didn't. There's a um, there's like light coming in, and uh, as you could see it almost like a fucking power bar in a video game. You just see the the light just kind of like boop, like go down, and then he comes busting into the room. It's so fast too, like the sun fucking <laughs> fell out of the sky, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will, I will say. So, despite the fact that Peter Cushing is my favorite Van Helsing, and Christopher Lee is one of my favorite Draculas. This particular movie probably isn't even in the yeah. top 10 Dracula movies. Well, this is only like, I think this is my third time watching this movie. And like, I've only ever watched it when I had to record a podcast about it. And um, <laughs> in the past, I've always gone on and watched other ones to go with it. Right. Because that was always the theme was always Dracula horror. And I always end up thinking like, man. The other ones are so much better than this. It's like so strange that the sequels are so much better than the original when it comes to the Hammer films. And I might have the same thing to say about the Frankenstein movie we're about to talk to. Like, it's weird that these aren't that good, but then they made a bunch of sequels that got better. And I think it's because they were like, fuck it. We're not we're not telling these stories anymore. We're making up our own shit and we can go as wacky and crazy as we want with it. And eventually they do. I mean, at one point, Dracula and Van Helsing both transplant to the 70s and they have full music videos in the movies. And you're like, OK, do you believe uh, that I'm is down with this? What, Dracula A.D. 1976 or whatever it's called. 1972. 72. It's and it's fun as hell because there's just like a band playing like a mod rock band just plays a whole song in the middle of this movie. <laughs> well, Van Helsing, you know. Somehow they accident. I forget the the mechanism that Dracula wakes up there, and it's like Van Helsing's grandson, who's also played by Cushing, has to fight him. I do love That's... I love the fact too that in these this particular run of Dracula movies, at the end of every movie, Helsing kills Dracula, and not like in a mildly ambiguous way, like some horror movies do, oh. where it leaves the door open. He like. Kills the fuck out of Dracula at the end of every single movie, and somehow the next movie they're like, mm, didn't happen. <laughs> Just oops. Yeah, continuity was not their strong suit. I will say, like the the fight scene at the end, that's super fun. The guys are like battling it out. He makes the whatever the thing was is the candles that he uses to make like a cross. That's fun to watch. Apparently, this is like one of the very first times they've ever done that screen, like using yeah. random objects to make a cross. Yeah, and apparently that was it was Cushing's idea because he was okay. He's like, I've been using like normal crucif- 
fixes this entire time. What if I, we just like I grab these, put them together, and that's crossed? And they're like, all right. But no one else article, noticed. The article also Sorry. says that it was his idea to run across the tabletop and tear down the curtains. So take, take however true. you want with a grain of salt. I love that. I love that moment but, where he jump, just jumps. Yeah. I, like, I don't know, there's I something did, about that. Well, it's just so fun. Cushing is a lithe motherfucker, isn't he? He is. He's all nibbly-bibbly <laughs> in both these films. Well, he ends up, like, he gets older and sicker as these series go on. And if you ever get, like, maybe we'll add some of them to the list so we can discuss them in detail. But, like, at one point, like, in Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, he's, like, an old man by that point, And he's still, like, jumping on David Prowse's back, I think, in that movie. So. <laughs> Fuck you, Darth Vader! Yeah, it's, he's, uh, he's nimbly bimbly. And then uh, Christopher Lee is at the height of his inhuman amount of power he has. Oh, my God. Because for yeah. the fact that he's a tall dude, he doesn't look muscly. You know, we live in a world where there are the rocks and John Cena's and stuff. But the yeah. scene where he carries that girl out of the room, he picks her up like she weighs two ounces. <laughs> oh. No. He's got that like scary strength that you can't see the muscles, but somehow he can just do whatever he wants. Right. Because yeah. I remember I was I was rewatching that with Char and I even said something about it. I was like, did you just see that? And she was like, what? And I was like, you didn't just see him pick up a woman and walk across the room like like he was carrying a notebook instead of a whole <laughs> human being. And she's like, OK, and then. I was getting divorced. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not supposed to laugh about that, am I? It seems insensitive. No, I love you guys, uh, Lee's portrayal of Dracula. And I feel like... Yeah. I was trying to think of what it is that I love about it, because throughout most of the movie, he's not doing a whole lot. He's not baring his fangs. He's just sort of lurking across the screen. And I can't... I, I decided, I think it's just because... He carries himself as a dangerous person because in real life, Christopher Lee was a dangerous person. Right, right. He'll, he, he could really kill you. Yes. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think somehow that comes across. It's, it's like when somebody has charisma and you can't explain why. It's yeah. like you're scared of Christopher Lee and you can't explain why. And then you read up on him and go, well, that's why. But how did yeah. I know that? <laughs> like yeah. it's. Yeah. If, if people don't know, he apparently did black ops work in, during World War II. And from the sounds of it, killed lots and lots of Nazis. So he was in real life. He was definitely someone you would not want to fuck with. Killed, killed lots remotely. and lots of Nazis and may have enjoyed it. Yeah, seems to have enjoyed it. Yeah. And then the rumor, the rumor is confirmed or not that he was sort of the inspiration for the James Bond character in the books. Yeah. So it's yeah. he was a bad motherfucker before that was even even a. And then he's like, I'll just play Dracula 150 times on screen. (laughs) (laughs) So do you guys notice how much that final fight is the inspiration for the fight in uh, Fright Night? I I don't think I ever really realized how much it kind of um, how much Fright Night is aping from this directly. Oh, yeah. But everything from like even like when the girl gets the cross on the head and it leaves the the mark, I, I didn't realize that was from this film until just now. And then obviously the using the lights and the crosses and everything like that yeah. to uh, have that final fight. It's 
Yeah, I explained so, uh, to Amanda. I explained to Amanda. I'm like, yeah. So Peter Vincent and Fright Night. He's basically a takeoff of this. But if Peter Cushing yeah. in, in real life just became a horror host and sort of a down on his luck actor, that would be Peter Vincent. She's like, oh, okay, I can totally see it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can tell really quickly with the outfits and just with the whole like the using the hammer and the stake to drive it in and all that stuff. Um, but I, I, the final fight, like using the light, tearing down like the in here they tear down curtains, obviously in Fright Night they break out the windows, and but it's all the same basic concept. Uh, putting the cross in his in his coffin so he can't get back into it. Yeah, which I, I did read a goof on IMDb that Dracula's coffin has a cross on the front of it, so he wouldn't even be able to open it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Apparently. See, that's the problem with taking Renfield out of the movie. There's no one to open it for him. <laughs> right? I did not. Well, I didn't if pick they, up on it, that. I, weird, weird thing that I don't know has ever been established or not. Is it simply the image of the cross that he can't do, or is it actual crosses? I've never seen them addressed like oh, him walking by a painting of a cross. Well, if Peter, if uh, a, see, see, I just called him Peter Vincent. If Peter Cushing could put together two candlesticks and that hurts him, then see, but that still physically makes a cross, a three dimensional oh, you know cross. What, though? I think this is, I think in one of the later movies, and I think it's a hammer movie that would fall into this canon. There's a scene where a guy's bleeding and he uses the blood to draw a cross on his own chest to scare away Dracula. So, therefore, yeah, that is a drawing of a cross and it would, okay. it did. Well, there we go. So, then we have established rules. Right. Also, well, super dope knows. scene. Yep. So, I'd, I'd have to double check and make sure that that's a proper. Um, Hammer Dracula film that that happens in. But not, not Christopher Lee and his other Dracula movies that's not Hammer? Well, yeah, I mean, do you remember like when I tried to watch the Christopher Lee Dracula movie from 1973 and there was like three of them? And they weren't, they weren't connected <laughs> in any way. He just played Dracula three times in the same year in different movies. <laughs> um, so I guess are we are we yay or nay on this one? Well, I mean, it's so it is a yay in the fact that this isn't a bad movie. I I will just say it's not like I said, it's not the best Dracula movie in the world, but it does set the scene for all them later. Real good Dracula movies from Hammer. I remember watching the Satanic, yeah, I'm kind of a, the Satanic Rites of Dracula. Yeah, thinking, is that the one where for Lee refused to talk? Yes. And I remember that one being <laughs> really bad. Yeah, I think it's, that's like it's it's not the best the exception. Movie. Yeah, he, he gets 80, thwarted. 1972 is my favorite. Yeah, he gets thwarted by a rosebush in, in Satanic Rites. Yeah, Satanic. yeah, yeah. Whatever the dialogue in the movie was, it was so bad that Christopher Lee's just like, nope, <laughs> just not, not doing that. it. And they're just like, well, what are you going to say instead? And he's like, fuck you. That was the one where they were like, we need this to be sexier. It just didn't work. Yeah, What's the, I, the last one in the series is it's like a follow up to AD 1972. And Christopher Lee's very unhappy about that one, too. There's tons of interviews where he just complains about it. <laughs> yeah, I, for the most part, like this movie. I do not enjoy a lot of the changes they made to the story, but I feel uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula performance makes up for it. And Peter Cushing, too. Peter Classic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say for me, it's like the first half I have a lot of issues with. Once it's like Peter Cushing and 
Christopher Lee facing off against each other. It's like I, I there's something about those two on screen together that works, and I have to say I, I very much enjoy it. Like fifty fifty, but you should probably watch it if you've never seen it, just because it is yeah, iconic sure. and it will. It's one of those ones where it's almost like even if you're not enjoying it, it's it's horror homework. You need to see this. Yeah, it is. It is part of the the lexicon of horror speak. Yeah. And it, like I say, it's it's fun to watch a movie like this and pick out the influences it's had. I always kind of enjoy doing that. Maybe I'm a huge nerd. That could be part of that. Where I'm like, oh, look, I can see how this other movie learned things. What? from this movie. But I know it's a shocking revelation. Uh, all right. Well, switching to the other side of the coin, Doug, do you want to run down Curse of Frankenstein? Curse of Frankenstein. Curse of Frankenstein. Uh, let's see. Opens up with Dr. Frankenstein, played by Peter Cushing, in a jail cell. It's, um, he then is telling a story to a priest of how he ended up there. And it basically starts with him deciding he wants to build the Frankenstein monster. There's not a lot of lead up to it in this version. <laughs> he's just like, he's a young baron and he literally yeah, puts out an ad for a tutor and brings that tutor in and is like, you're here to teach me how to do science so I can build a monster. Um, it's not quite that simple, but that's basically ends up being the end of it. Fast forward to when they're adults and they're working and they're doing quite well. And Frankenstein is starting to slightly go mad with power. So he's out running around chopping off body parts and buying body parts out of morgues they, and shit. They bring a puppy back from the dead. They do bring a puppy back from the dead. In which they don't uh, they don't say it out loud, so I'm hoping they didn't kill that puppy in order to bring that puppy back from the dead. Oh, they totally did. It's didn't, it's unknown at this point. Did not enjoy that it, scene. I I'm just wondering if they filmed that scene in reverse, because that dog is like floating in stuff. And then they drain the stuff out and the dog comes back to life. And in my head, they just drown a real puppy to film that scene. They're just oh. like, <laughs> that's what I think happened. Oh. Uh, anyways, throughout all this, there's also a giant vat of acid off to the side in their lab, which we're not supposed to notice because it's not foreshadowing at all. And every now and again, they go over and they put parts into it. Yeah, he's um, got to melt that head. Eventually, Frankenstein ends up killing a really smart guy to get a, a perfect brain to put in his monster, which is, uh, but unfortunately, the two have a disagreement and in their shoving, the brain is damaged, which is hilarious that they were trying not to ape the previous films and they still we need do to, the regular brain rewind. versus criminal brain thing. Because him killing that doctor is the best part of the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Whenever he says that, I don't know what weird uh perfectly flexible mannequin they used to throw off that balcony to land head first on the ground but that's a really really good mannequin you do fucking love a mannequin falling off a shit, oh my god you? it's so well it's it's all about like how good it looks and that mannequin fall looks so fucking good that's a really good it special really effect. yeah because you see it, you see it land, and you're like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Like, that's kind of good for the brain they were hoping to get. Although, no. he, although part of the thing it's not uh, is there. him, he's faking an accident by shoving the professor through the railing, uh, which in this particular case is st stone, stone railing that he pushes him through. Yeah, well, 
I know. Listen, you're you're what? not picking at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, to finish the plot description, then he creates a monster. The monster wreaks a minor amount of havoc. Um, and then they fight, and he kills the monster. Oh, and there's a subplot where uh, Dr. Frankenstein is sleeping with the maid like he's the Arnold Schwarzenegger of his day because they need him to have somebody to be killed off later by the monster. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of this one. Really? Yeah. I actually, I actually enjoy <laughs> this more than Dracula. I feel like there's so much talking in the first half of this movie. Yeah. Like nothing happens. You know, first, like, it's, a lot, oh, it's a lot more than a half. Yeah. Just like, oh, look, I went and got some hands. That's like, okay, exciting. And then nothing else will happen for another like 25 minutes. It's like, oh my God. But what something, what something about when happened. he buys those eyeballs off the guy? And he like it's takes a, the eyeballs and puts them in like a little, like, it's, I don't know, it's the kind of jar that your grandmother always has in the house. That's like, I don't know where they get them. <laughs> they, they always, when they're giving you like things, they always put them in those little jars and he just puts the eyeballs in there and you just see them squishing around and then he negotiates the price. <laughs> that's, you don't think that's fun? Yeah, really. See, just I, lots, of, lots of him and his tutor sitting around talking about what they're going to do. Well, see, Not that's what I was going to say. But I, I enjoy this movie a lot, but I don't necessarily enjoy this movie specifically as a Frankenstein movie, but as its own thing. Because well, I feel like the the story that they told, which is basically this doctor's descent into madness and him coming into conflict with his uh, friend slash enemy, Paul. I, I feel like that is a good story. And this movie does a good job of telling that story. Yeah, I actually, I like the first half of this movie a lot. Um, I like the lab set up. I think it looks cool and it's fun to watch. I like watching them run around and do their experiments and all the, the relationship between Paul and Frankenstein is good. Um, movie falls apart for me when the monster shows up, which is weird. Um, well, yeah. well, they I'm fail the, to do I'm the opposite. They fail to do one of two things with the monster. The monster, you can either go full tilt and it's a horrible rampaging dead brained zombie boy causing havoc. I'm fine with that. Or it's a sympathetic, misunderstood creature. And they don't do that either. He's just kind of a, I, the I don't know, mildly minty handicapped away from the monster. Yeah. I don't like the makeup of the monster either. I don't like anything about the monster, really. Except for when they light him on fire at the end. That part's fun to watch because it's a cool stunt because, you know, it's the seven. It's the like, was it the 50s still? So they're just like lighting a dude on fire and hoping that's <laughs> shot in the eyeballs pretty good, too. Yeah, it's fun. Like there's, there are fun moments once the monster's around, but I don't, I don't like the portrayal of the monster as like unsympathetic. I don't like the look of it. I don't like the fact that there's no makeup anywhere except on the head. I don't even like the speech that <laughs> Frankenstein gives about how like because they put a good brain in it and your brain controls your facial features. The whole time he's talking about that, I'm like, no, it doesn't. You know, just put a smart brain in a head and the skull will shape itself to match the intellect of the brain. <laughs> Like you can't get away with that, you know, but uh, yeah. So for me, it's like, I, like I, I was enjoying 
especially because it's Peter Cushing, his performance as he starts to go crazier and crazier throughout the film. And as you see him starting to like care less and less about anything except for the fucking his his mission of creating life. I, I enjoyed that. Like I say, then just having Christopher Lee in shitty makeup eat like a couple of what I guess were supposed to be like sheep or something, but I don't know. I couldn't even tell because the special effects are so bad on those like weird things. Like, yeah, could have done without that second half of the movie. It could definitely be because I watched both these back to back. Yeah. So maybe if I would have watched this one first, I wouldn't have minded as much, but after watching all of horror of Dracula and then getting to this and I'm like, Oh my God, Dracula got to the, to its point a lot quicker. Yeah, and I'm just sitting around watch all these people talk and everything, and I was just like, I'm bored with this. Um, but then when you, in some ways, it's like, you like it. See, see, I feel like it's sort of strange because they made they switched the two characters, right? Like, Dracula is supposed to be this long, slow build, and they got rid of all that and just made it into like actiony right away. And then with Frankenstein, where it's because the monster's supposed to be the main character of the story, at least in traditional tellings of the story then you want him on screen as early as possible so that he can, you, you can develop that sympathy for the monster and all that. Yeah, but here, is, here, there is no Frankenstein until the hour mark. Yeah. It's insane. It's like it's an only, hour into it. And it's only an hour and 20 minute movie. Yeah. So like they, they were not interested in putting the monster on screen. They were not interested in creating the monster as a character, which is a decision they made. It's not like it's a, it's a decision I don't really agree with, but it's just, it's almost like I want this movie to be two hours long because I don't want to give up all the Van Helsing, uh, I almost called it Van Helsing, all the Frankenstein <laughs> stuff at the beginning. Um, but I also, like, I wish that then that monster could become a more sympathetic character as opposed to just kind of leading directly into the violence and the, the fight at the end. Again, the fight is kind of fun watching the two of them go, but up on that castle. And... Oh, wait, I... I I, I dropped the ball earlier when I mentioned that mentioned that vat of acid because I should everyone should have known that the monster was going to fall right into it. I was going to say <laughs> you also left out the entire uh, subplot of his arranged marriage to his cousin. Yeah, because who gives a shit? Why is she even in this uh, movie? To get shot at the end and run off with Paul. Yeah. Uh, all right. To which Paul's is that like it? It's dick. At, Paul's kind of a dick at the end too, and. When Van, uh, I almost called him Van Helsing too. When Frankenstein is, <laughs> is telling the priest his story, and he's like, "Oh, my friend Paul here can verify everything," and he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And then he's just like, "Yeah, whatever," and he's like, "Yeah, I like that woman you shot," and then he just walks out of there. Well, no, because like, oh, the the person he's talking about him killing is the maid. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Which yeah. is. <laughs> Which is real weird. I, I almost think at the end of the movie that they might be suggesting that this is all bullshit or that he's oh. crazy. You know what I mean? So you're saying unreliable narrator. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I, their, I their reactions could, at the end are real, are real odd whenever they're having that conversation. And he says there's nothing else we can do for him or something like that. And I and see I took it. I was, I was getting ready to say, and you could take that one of two ways that he's basically saying, you know, he's he's fucking lost it over this Frankenstein thing and he we can't let him out because he'll do it again. Or they're saying he murdered that girl like. <laughs> See, I took it as Paul 
wanting to hold him accountable for the death and the destruction that was caused, even though he didn't physically do it. Which is strange, because you'd think in a world where, if you believe his story, he's still going to be held accountable. <laughs> Excuse me. Awesome. So, I, I thought, yeah, I thought the... I, I, knowing where the series goes, I know that the canon answer is that the, the, whole, the whole monster story is true. But I also think right. that, yeah, you could, you could interpret it the way you're describing it. I don't think there's anything in this film as a standalone that prevents you from seeing it that way. Because everything that we learn is all told to us by Frankenstein, who's already in jail at the beginning of the movie. Right. Right. And there's that reaction, too, where he said, you know, Frankenstein's grabbed him and he says he killed her, Paul. And Paul says, who? Like <laughs> Yeah. And, he, and he says it in kind of a serious way. They, I, I don't think, yeah. I don't know. Once again, you can kind of interpret it a few different ways. Yeah, I, I, I take it as Paul wanting to keep him in prison, wanting to, him to be stuck in there for what he's done. And maybe realizing that there's not a traditional law that he's broken in more of a, got to get him in there in a roundabout sort of way. He's broken God's law. Yeah. So that, according to my logic, the uh, the idea of putting Frankenstein in in prison for a murder he didn't commit in order to get him for is it's sort of the equivalent to uh, getting like Al Capone on tax fraud or whatever they did. You know what I mean? Like it's that idea. Uh, so two pieces of two things I read about this this movie. Number one, apparently uh, Christopher Lee walked into Peter Cushing's dressing room and he's like. Threw the script down. He's like, I don't have any lines in this movie. He was all pissed off. Peter Cushing <laughs> apparently told him, well, you're lucky. I actually read the script. <laughs> That's a good burn. And then apparently Hammer was, because this was like one of their first, like we're doing the classic monster movies. And apparently yeah. they had contacted Boris Karloff about coming over to do a Frankenstein movie. That's when Warner Brothers oh, really? is like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, if you do anything even remotely close to ours, we will sue the ever-living shit out of you. So they're like, fuck. So they threw the script out, completely rewrote it. And, you know, I'm kind of surprised Universal didn't uh, copyright the idea of using electricity to bring Frankenstein to life. Yeah. Because so. that's not, it's not in the book, so that's something that they did. Plus, uh, did maybe Thomas Edison, because didn't he make a Frankenstein movie? Maybe. Did he maybe, he maybe use electricity in it? I've never seen it. I think he did, yeah. And that was like 1910, so it's uh, a... Well, talk shit. about... Yeah. Talk about annoying assholes. Fucking Thomas Edison. Great. Too bad he didn't get choked <laughs> to death by a monster. Right? That guy's the fucking worst. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely weirdly anti-Thomas Edison at the end. Well, have you ever heard about what he did? He's he's a fucking horrible person. Oh, he stole other people's ideas and all sorts of shit. Yeah. Stole other people's ideas, uh, ran his own film studio, and would have like bodyguards go over go to other studios, like film shoots, and destroy. Couldn't shoot it. Break their cameras, break their sets, like all that shit. Yeah, fuck that guy. It's kind of fun, though. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely interested in checking out some of the other Hammer Frankenstein movies, but yeah, this one did not uh, do anything for me. We should 
We should stick some of them on the list and, and talk with them because they're fun. I think like Frankenstein and the monster from hell is a fun one. And I think uh, Frankenstein created woman is another good one, but I haven't seen any of them in a long time. So I'm only hoping they're still good. Thanks for calling the midnight drive-in. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the midnight drive-in on Twitter at MN drive-in pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the midnight drive-in at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. So, Doug wants to start a podcast war with Scott for some reason. Not for no reason. He stole our idea well, and he's doing the same movie as us this week. Sure. He's doing half the movies we did this week. I, I was going to say, I, I kind of thought the same thing last week, too, because we were doing old black and white movies, and then he did Freaks. Yeah. Fucking guy. We gave him his start in podcasting by agreeing to be on the show that he founded, organized, and did all the work for. And now he's stealing our ideas. Son of a bitch. Motherfucker. <sighs> Could be fantastic. Um, all right. What we watch? What'd you watch, Noah? Things. So you're gonna start you're gonna start now or yeah. So we'll get no, we'll do that last. Uh so so I did go see Barbarian. So do we want to do a spoilery barbarian thing at the end? Because I don't want to ruin it for people. <laughs> you probably should. Yeah. So Barbarian is fucking awesome. Go see it at the end. Don't watch don't watch anything. Don't read reviews. Go see it. Uh, yeah. I went and saw Smile, which was, I mean, it's its the same shit. Like, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just not great. Like, it's its one of those fucking movies. It's just the same shit. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to say. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't have much to say about it. There's nothing spectacular about it. There's nothing groundbreaking. There's nothing interesting about it. Yeah, it's, ex- it's, ex- it's exactly what you think it is. So Please. if that's the kind of movie you're into, you're probably going to really like it. I mean, I'm I'm lukewarm on those types of movies, and I'm lukewarm on this one. So it all works out. <laughs> uh, and then I was sitting there scrolling through stuff, and, and there was the monsters. And I really fucking love the monsters, and I really hate Rob Zombie. I just don't know how you thought this might be okay. See, I th- the problem is I even went into it thinking this is probably going to be trash. And it's just, it's so much fucking worse than I thought it would be. I don't understand how it could be that much worse than (laughs) my low expectations of that shitty asshole and his shitty wife making shitty movies. But so here's, here's the only way I can think of to describe it. So, uh, are you guys, how familiar with the monsters are you guys with all the different monsters properties over the years? Uh, I watched some of the original show. I did watch. Yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but they did a, a show in the late 80s, early 90s called The Monsters Today. Okay. So that's the worst yep. one, right? Okay. Sure. And then they did. So there yep. was there was the original Monsters TV shows followed by two Monsters movies, Monster Go Home and uh, The Monsters Revenge. And then they did that show, which is just a fucking travesty. 
it's it's basically they were like, hey, here's an idea. Let's make the exact same show, but in color, make everything look bad and just hire much worse actors. I agree. So, so we don't, don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. So it did not it did not work. And it went for what, like three seasons? Uh, was it even that long? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was remember. I think it was like 89 to 71 or something like there 89 to 71, 89 to 91. And then in 1995, Fox did that made for TV movie. Uh, Here come the monsters, which was fine. It sounds it sounds like it would be bad because it's a Fox Halloween special, but it's it's really not terrible. So uh, th- three seasons of this Monsters yeah. Today show. You were right. I love. I, 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 fucking, I certainly didn't I watch it for all three monsters. seasons. Yeah, I love the monsters. That one's not worth watching. All the rest of the stuff is probably worth a watch. Three twenty-four episode seasons. Jesus fuck. Yeah, I have no idea how the fuck they pulled that off because it's bad. Like it's so fucking bad. Like I barely remember anything about it. Now apparently it was no. not go- was not good enough for me to go seek it out to be like, oh, let's find that show I watched a couple times when I was a kid. Right. So now imagine Rob Zombie, whose only exposure to the monsters, I have to assume, is the pilot episode of the monsters today. He saw that. <laughs> uh, and he went to a uh, Nickelodeon and was like, hey, I want to make a Halloween Town movie. And they were like, no, you suck so bad. You can't even be trusted with making a Halloween Town movie. Then he goes, hmm. Well, then I'm going to go get the rights to the monsters. I'm going to make a Halloween Town movie anyway and just call it the monsters. Uh, so he goes to do that. And then they're like, OK, so what are you going to do? Are you going to like do a modern day or you gonna shake it up? What's what's the plan? And he's like, no, I'm going to do a prequel. And it's like, hmm, this is all sounding worse, way worse. And then he hires an actual actress to play Lily Munster. Um and she is killed by wolves. This is the curse of working for Rob Zombie. So instead, he has uh, Sherry do a shitty impression of the crappy Lily from the Monsters Today. Not not the like Lily that everyone loves, but the shitty one that everyone hates. And and fuck me, fuck me. This is fucking show is bad. I love this one. One time he's like, you know. People hate on Sherry, but I make her audition just like everybody else. She has to earn her spot in my movies. And I go, bull fucking shit. By audition, She's he terrible. means he makes her blow him in the back room. Possibly. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fucking... That's how a lot of people get their jobs in Hollywood. <laughs> so here's here's the things he actually keeps from the monsters. Uh, they do the weird wipes from the original show. I don't know if you guys... So the original show, they like to do like spider wipes and stuff for the screen instead of, you know, star wipes. But weird shit like that. They, they were they would do it for every fucking cut in the show. And he kept that, which is one of the things that you could probably get a, <laughs> rid of in modern day and nobody would care. Uh, the end. So <laughs> again, you know, the fucking I, I'll be honest, I didn't finish the movie. I got about an hour and 15 minutes into it, and I was like, fuck, fuck you, fuck Rob Zombie, fuck fuck the world, fuck my life. Uh, How long is this movie? Two hours. What? Yes. Ugh, that's too much. So, like, I don't know, the dude, the dude who plays 
Herman isn't completely fucking terrible, but the the like characterization of Herman's real weird. So their idea is instead of you know Herman's whole thing in the original series was he's Frankenstein and he makes dad jokes. Like that's yeah. the end. And and occasionally whenever he gets excited, he smashes something because he's too strong. And instead in this one, the the joke is whenever they're putting him together, because we have to do a fucking origin story for fucking Herman Munster. Uh, instead of getting the smart brother's brain, two brothers died on the exact same day and they accidentally get the dumb brother who is a stand up comedian and put his. That's, brain that's actually I, that's a pretty good joke. I like that. I'm not going to lie. I like yeah, that joke. Yeah, except it's not done well. OK, I accept that. Yeah. I have no intentions of watching this. I knew better. Oh my but. God. It's just, like I said, everything, everything about it's bad. It has, I'll admit that it's got moments in it that are pretty fucking funny, but I think that's despite Rob zombie, not because of him. Like the movie starts with grandpa's trying to hook Lily up with rich vampires because he, he wants her to marry into money. So it starts with her going out on a date with a guy who's basically Count Orloff from uh, Nosferatu. And the dude's like a complete shit weasel and spends the whole dinner show showing her a giant uh, pile of pictures of his pet rats and telling her about their personalities, which, once again, that's kind of funny. And then whenever they get to his house, he's like, Turn around and close your eyes. I have a surprise for you. And whatever she just turns around. It's I, I'm trying to remember what it says. Like he's got a giant neon sign above his house. That's like v- vampire dance palace or something. And it starts playing some techno song saying I'm a sexy vampire. And he's doing like this terrible dance in front of the front of his house. Pretty funny. End uh, uh, of Orlock is Orlock played by Doug Jones. Because if not. Missed opportunity. I have no idea who is played by. He's under so much makeup. Uh, oh yeah, the makeup is fucking terrible, and and it's it, it's on purpose terrible because I think they were trying to do it kind of cheesy, owing to the fact that it was an old black and white show. But the, the truth is, like, even it wasn't that cheesy. Their special effects weren't terrible. It was just made in the fucking fifties. So I don't I don't get where. Like I said, it looks like it looks like. If if you try to make Sven Gulli the movie, so like everything's neon colored coffins and dudes in grease paint, like that's that's what this movie is. In which if this was Sven Gulli the movie, I might have liked because I'd have been like, oh, he's making trash because the Sven Gulli show was trash and Sven Gulli knew that. That's funny. But yeah, fuck, fuck Rob Zombie, fuck him in his face, fuck Sherry Moon Zombie to the end of the earth. <laughs> So mild recommend then or my only recommendation is that every copy of this film be strapped to their bloated corpses stuck in a rocket and shot into space. <laughs> I feel you're overreacting. Hyper- hyperbole is the spice of life. But still, <laughs> the the whole thing is I, I'm telling you guys, I love the fucking monsters so much. So much. I fucked it up so bad. <laughs> mad about people, it. Lots of people on that are on uh, Facebook. Talking about that, they actually really enjoyed it. Of course, of course they did. They're the dumb motherfuckers that think all these movies are good. But I'm like, I don't care because I still don't want to. I don't even know if I can see it. What's it on? 
Netflix. It's, isn't no, yeah, it was made for Netflix. I don't think it's on Netflix here, or at least they're not recommending it to me. Good, good they will be spared. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to watch it anyway. There's too much stuff to watch. I, I won't get to that. But no. zero interest. Yeah. And I and I do like I do like a lot of Rob Zombie's films. I don't know that he's yeah. the the right decision to make a monsters movie. Devil's Rejects is still the only movie of his that I've actually liked. I liked it's, House of I mean, a Thousand Busts. Yep. I mean, it was a shitty Texas Chainsaw Massacre knockoff, and I, that's great. Yep, Devil's sure. Rejects, fine. The end. <laughs> Watch anything else now? So angry. So I, angry. I think I think I did. But I think I think my rage at the monsters just erased it. <laughs> if I if it hadn't been for the fact that I saw Barbarian this week and it was so good, I would be even more mad. <laughs> <sighs> What'd you watch, Doug? Uh, I won't be that worked up about anything I watched. I'll tell you that. Wow. Uh, you know, I I watched Firestarter because someone pointed out to me that I'd never seen Firestarter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit! How come I've never seen Firestart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like it's actually really it's kind of funny. The uh, the kid that lives next door was like completely freaking out, screaming and yelling, and her like mom's boyfriend comes just comes walking out of the house. Like, obviously, I'm not going to deal with that. And he looks at me, and goes, "Jesus, you ever seen Firestarter?" And I went, "Holy shit! I've never seen Firestarter. I'm going to go inside and watch Firestarter. You deal with the screaming child." <laughs> But it's really good movie. I don't, you I don't probably know already that, knew that, didn't you? I don't know what that has to do with fire, like his screaming kid. Did it's well at the time. The I assumed. I assumed that the the little girl in Firestarter would be screaming at the time, but I it turns out she doesn't do that. Oh, I think is it, I think he might be talking about the new one, the remake, where she throws temper tantrums and burns people. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to watch the remake. I'll tell you that much right now. I watched the original. Yeah. The, the original's the original. got problems. Uh, number one being George C. Scott is a Native American. But then you, I, but then you watch it. And you're like, yeah, but 80s. And then you just enjoy it. Okay. Yes. He plays a Native American, but he doesn't. They don't put him in brown face. And he doesn't like do a lot of like he's not rain dancing or anything like it's other than they put a ponytail on him and his name is like whatever it is. John Rainbird. I don't know. Rainbird. Yeah. Like it sounds Native American, but he just goes by John most of the movies. So it's fine. My favorite thing about that character is that he's supposed to be like this like secretive guy that can go undercover and stuff. And like, first of all, it's George C. Scott. George C. Scott can blend in nowhere. That's where George C. Scott completed. This cannot fucking happen. Like he is sneaking nowhere. That's all there is to it. And then second of all, like he just does that thing. It's like where he's always wearing like a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt and he's got like a jacket on. And then when like when he's undercover, all it is is the same outfit, but he changes the jacket the whole movie. And it makes me laugh. I'm like, what what do they think they're doing here? Like who are they fooling? <laughs> so that made me laugh, but I thought the performances were good from like from Drew Barrymore and stuff. I thought the whole story was fun about like the like the shop and the 
the fact that they're on the run for most of the, for a good chunk of the movie, I thought was great. I'm just like, I didn't know like it was directed by Mark L. Lester too. Right. So it's like, if I'd known that, I probably would have watched it a long time ago. Like I had a hell of a run in the early eighties. Right. Uh, originally it was supposed to be directed by John Carpenter. Yes, it was. But then and I'd the, be the, very the, curious. The thing bombed at the box office, and they're like, fuck that. Yeah. It would obviously be a very different movie if John Carpenter directed it. I love um, the fact I love the fact that that movie bombed, too, because they're like, fuck, this dude just made one of the most brilliant horror movies of all time, but people don't get it, so fuck him. <laughs> yeah. But let's give David it's, Lynch some more money. It's so dumb because, like, now we're not talking about movies. We're just bitching about the Hollywood system. But like, he, who's at fault for the thing bombing? Is the idiots who put it out the same year as ET and like the same time as ET? Right? Yeah. Everyone wants to go see this family-friendly alien movie. We'll put out the exact opposite. And oh, what a surprise! It's not working. It's like no, that's that's a shitty marketing decision. It's not the fucking director's fault. He didn't make a bad movie. Like. <laughs> The whole idea that box office is based on whether a movie's good or not is the stupidest thing ever. It's like yeah. people haven't seen the movie yet when they decide to go see it, so they don't know if it's good or not. Like, if your movie does poorly, blame your marketing department, not your fucking director. If the movie sucks, blame the director. And obviously, the thing does not suck. Agreed. Anyways, um, yeah, I really like Firestarter. A lot of people don't. Um, I think it's a little dated, probably at this point, but. I don't care. A little bit. I still like it. There's some stuff that comes across as cheesy, like the dad like puts his hands on his heads every time he's gonna like control somebody. And uh if they I like that if they knock his hands away from his head he can't do it. Like it's <laughs> that's pretty cheesy. But yeah, you know. the, re- the remake they got Zach Efron to play that character, which I was actually okay with. Actually yeah, he's not a bad actor. I think he can do some good stuff, but man, that movie was nah, it just didn't even look good. So yeah. Uh, Charlie, yeah Charlie doesn't even spend any time in the uh, in the facility in the remake. Oh no, she, she just goes to break her dad out. And that's it. Okay. Yeah, not good. But the, that's like a significant part of this movie. I think that yeah, one of the complaints the people. Yeah, I haven't read the book. I think one of the complaints people have about this movie is that there is a lot of like downtime, but that's what I like about it. Like that's where we're like we're spending time with these characters. We still have like the big action moments where she lights a bunch of people on fire and stuff. But we have those that time to get to know them. We see the relationship between her and John develop so that like when John's manipulating her and stuff, mm-hmm. that all works. And I don't understand why people to have a problem with it just because it's not an action scene, you know. John Rainbird disappears halfway through the remake. Yeah, that um, makes he's sense. not in it for most of it. Yeah, the, right. like the the psychological manipulation, like that's a huge part of that story. They yeah. didn't even touch it on the remake, but no, all right, it's good in the original though. Because it is, because I mean, the, the whole idea too of like they want her to use her powers and like the whole idea that because she she used the powers to escape and hurt the bad guys, but now she's like traumatized by that and won't use them again. It is kind of like, it's actually like kind of like a Wolverine storyline, <laughs> but it's, um, it, it really works well. Like you can imagine a little girl if she like hurt people and then saw it happen and was like, Oh shit, I'm never doing that again. And then they're like trying to convince her to do it. And the whole, it, the dynamic is really interesting. I think so. I, don't know, I, li- I liked it a lot. I was, I guess a little surprised by how much I liked it. 
but Martin Sheen, always a good bad guy. Yep. He just he plays that maniacal, like over the top bad guy so well. He was just doing it in Stephen King movies at this point in his career. Because this is like what? <laughs> um, one year after Dead Zone, I think. Something like that, yeah. So that's. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's great at doing that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's much else to say about it. I'm sure most people listening have seen Firestarter and are kind of laughing at the fact that I hadn't watched it until now. But <laughs> Well, you'll be happy to know they did make a sequel. I, have, I was debating whether to track down the sequel. I'm guessing it's not good. Well, it was it was a made for sci-fi original. It was yeah. supposed to to be a backdoor pilot for a TV series where yep you guessed it Charlie would go town to town each week and probably help somebody <laughs> he just becomes the littlest hobo pretty much because that's the only idea that TV movie the TV stations had TV companies had for like 20 years well it's what if they're on the show. run on the run and they go town to town they meet people and maybe help them with a problem and they're being pursued Listen, by somebody that- that's completely unfair because the Dukes of Hazard, different people would come to their town every week and they would help them. So it was it was unique and original and completely different from everything else on television. <laughs> That's why I was number one for so long. Um, it's John Rainbird didn't die, but no, uh, they replaced him with Malcolm McDowell. Okay. Uh, yeah, so this is like mid '90s. I still have a copy of it on DVD. I still never watched the whole thing. I got halfway through it. I'm like, this I, is horrible. I don't. I can't imagine myself watching that. <laughs> That's the thing is, like now, there's like so much available at the t- at the touch of your finger. It's like, why? Why would I ever watch that? <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know what I mean. I respect myself too much to watch that. This was before like sci-fi had really to watch it. This is this is this is before sci-fi really like solidified themselves with like Battlestar Galactica and stuff. So yeah. their 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 TV shows were still were no no bueno at this point. They're still like it's worth a shot maybe at the time, but I don't know. Yeah, you have to have <laughs> something to, to like, play in between reruns of Manimal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I've never seen Manimal, you know. I should probably, I should probably seen, fix that one day. Ever seen Manimal? Well, next week your neighbor's going to come out of the house and be like, you ever seen Manimal? And you're going to be like, no! You're going <laughs> to turn around, run back into the house and start watching it. Well, not now, because now I know he lied about Firestarter. <laughs> Nobody was screaming or yelling at it. What else did you want? Um, I watched a movie called Grave of the Vampire, okay. which is... Uh, I don't even know how to describe this movie. So the movie opens up. There's like a couple. They're about to have sex in a graveyard. But a vampire wakes up out of his grave, comes out there, ends up Who's killing the dude. Who's fucking in my graveyard? Yeah. Well, he kills the dude, but he's like, the chick is like there. She's like half naked. He gets all excited. He ends up uh, forcing himself on the girl who ends up giving birth to a vampire baby. Half Like it's like Blade before Blade was a thing. There's a half, half human, half uh, vampire baby. And so we... We hesitate on that just long enough to go, that that baby's half vampire. Cool. Cut to a weird storyline about like the kid is like now college age and tracking down the vampire who is posing as a college professor. Um, ends up, you know, surprisingly enough, he ends up finding him and, and they do battle. Um, 
I'm not sure what to say about this movie. I don't know how to not recommend a movie that's about a vampire rapes a woman and she gives birth to a half vampire, half human baby. I, obviously, I'm going to say you should watch it. It's not good, but you should watch it. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. Most of it's very forgettable. It's very 70s in the sense that people just keep like randomly like hooking up with each other and you're just like, why did you just is it's reminds me of like, you know, that like the old thing there has to be like a an action sequence every 10 pages and a script for Hollywood. It's like I think in the 70s it was like there has to be a sex scene every 10 pages in in like a horror movie script. They're just like we can't just we have to do it. We don't really have a choice at this point. So. You're not doing your job right unless they're sexy. It's, it's also one of these movies where like, I don't, like people start accusing of being a vampire and it's like, well, nobody knows vampires exist, but then when they accuse this guy of being a vampire, people are kind of just okay with it. It's like, oh, maybe he is. Maybe he is a vampire. You're right. You're it's like, but if, right. You, if you don't know that vampires <laughs> exist, then you wouldn't know this. And they play it off like he's some kind of like a quote unquote like famous vampire, like people who read up on vampires know who he is and stuff and i'm like none of that that doesn't make any sense what are you talking about <laughs> but again if if you missed it he uh he rapes a lady at the beginning and then there's a half vampire half human baby so recommend Good time. and then after that i uh, i was trying not to watch halloween until <laughs> october five minutes in what's that yeah like five minutes five minutes away from like in October, and you're like, "Yep, Halloween time." I was like, "I was try, I was like, I can't." I, for some reason, Halloween's on a bunch of the different like free streaming services now, so it keeps being recommended to me. And I'm like trying not to watch it, trying not to watch it, and then like 10:30 at night on this 30th September, I'm like, "God damn it, I give up." <laughs> I watched it, <laughs> and you know, then of course I had to follow through with what I consider the official Halloween trilogy, which is Halloween, Halloween Two, and Halloween Four. And uh, I don't know. I probably talked about this last year when I watched this trilogy of films and maybe the year before. I, I very much enjoy them all. I don't know if there's much left to say. <laughs> like, you know, I think uh, I think next year you need to change it up and go four five and six. And let us know. Well, I did watch six previously. If you remember, I brought it up when Scott was on the show. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I really think, I really do think like two and four are the best sequels by quite a bit. I think like, it's just like of all the movies that are direct sequels to the first one, which is a surprising number of movies. I think two is the one that just matches the atmosphere the best. It obviously isn't as good as the first one, but it does the best job of kind of carrying on the feel. And then four is just a slasher movie. My favorite part about part two is that we just open up with Loomis already crazy. Like we don't have to yep. build to that. Like the first uh, time we see him is just running up to a cop. I shot him six times. I shot, I shot six him times. six times. Six times. <laughs> just going <laughs> berserk. <laughs> yeah, no, and like. Uh, Donald Pleasance is, is on fucking point in that movie. He's just, he is in all of them, to be honest. Like, I think I said this even when I talked about six, like even no matter how bad that movie is, he's still just bringing it. Like he's just, he, he commits to the role. 
to, to say nothing else. And like, even in four, when they basically make him go through all the same steps as the original one, they're like, all right, it's basically a retelling. Sure, we'll just do that again. But this time he's going after his niece, not his sister. Merit. Sure, why not? It's uh, cause there's a there's a moment in four where I'm like, it opens up with like they're, they're transporting Michael Myers. He kills everybody in the ambulance and takes off. And when when uh, Doctor Loomis shows up and he's like, "How many bodies are in the are in there?" And then they're like, "Well, we can't really tell." And he like walks into the water and walks over to where the ambulance is. And you're like. What the fuck is he doing wandering through the water? Like, <laughs> these professional people can't figure out how many bodies are in there, but you're just going to peek in and see if he's there. Like the whole thing is crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm down for it though. Cause it's 80s slasher stuff. Right. And I'm just down for that. That's what it comes down to. I love part four. I watched it a lot when I was younger. It's the one that it's the first one I saw. Like, cause I was the perfect age. I was like, whatever, like nine when it came out, maybe 10 when it was on VHS and I was actually allowed to watch it. And, uh, so the perfect age to watch like slasher movies, if you grew up in our era. Um, and it just, it's, it set me back. I went and I tracked down all the other ones and, you know, I mean, it fucking opens, fucking opens with Michael Myers shoving his thumb through a dude's forehead. Yeah. How could you not love it? No, it's amazing. It's that whole sequence of them like going to the hospital to like get them, and they're like, it's just they're trying so hard to make it seem ominous and scary in this mental institution. <laughs> I, I don't know for some reason I enjoy it, even though technically they're unsuccessful in accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, I don't. Know. It's it's great. Um, like I say, I watch it every year. I'll I might watch it again next year and talk about it again if we're still doing this thing. It's. Yeah, it's it just works, and that's all there is to it. And it doesn't have any of the like, like it's by the time you get to five, like five is okay as well, but it has all that weird shit because they were setting up six, and it's like none of that really works. They weren't. I just I just did a video on five for Joe Blow. Yeah, necessarily setting up six is nobody had any idea what six was going to be. I've heard that before, and I don't understand what the hell they were doing if they weren't setting up six. Uh, like, why so, would you do all that stuff unless you were fucking gonna like, unless you had a plan, why would you be doing the things they uh, were doing? Well, so the original opening of it was supposed to be different. Um, you know, he floats down the river, some old dude finds him, they chill at the yeah. cabin for like a year and then he wakes up and kills the guy. So that was different originally. Like they shot it completely and they had to reshoot it. So, Originally, he floats down the river. There is a shack down there, but there's some weird, like, kid living in there who's all into the occult and shit. And he finds the body, keeps it for a year, and then is trying to do some ritual to, like, bring him back to life. So he has all these, like, occult symbols all over the shack and whatever. Then he, Michael Myers, wakes up and kills him. And the implication is that he tattooed the the thorn symbol on his wrist as part of the ritual which i'm like oh that makes way more sense than just oh he's always had it and you just never paid that much attention so because the whole thing of it being on his wrist like i don't remember now but do do they explain how it got there because he he was 
in the mental institution since he was like six years old. Like when, when did he go get a tattoo? Like, yeah, it's weird. Um, so that was different. Uh, and then they were a third of the way through shooting the movie and Mustafa Akkad, you know, the big producer on it, who's had the rights for yeah. it ever since like you know, person who loves Michael Myers and never wants him to die. He came up with, he's like, Oh, I came up with this awesome idea. We need to have this man in black wandering throughout the film and it'll leave people wondering who it is. So it'll lead them into watching the next movie. And the director's like, what? And he's like, yeah, just some mysterious guy in, in black. We'll figure it out later. He's like, okay. So he came up with this man in black character, put him in the movie. And when people asked him, so, so were you setting stuff up? He's like, no, I, I, I had no idea who the man in black was. I had no, no clue. I just, we had to have a man in black character. <laughs> we were a third of the way through shooting the movie already. So we just shot him. And I figured whoever the director was for part six, that would be his job to figure all that out. And then that was literally, so that was literally it. They had zero plan for part six. Well, fuck that guy. Talk about a way to ruin your franchise. (laughs) What a fucking mess the Halloween franchise is. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's so weird because like you did Friday 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street just no, I'm not saying the continuity is perfect or anything like that, but just year after year, they just kept pumping them out and it kept kind of making sense, like enough for horror fans to go along with it. And then you also have Halloween and like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that are just like the opposite where they're like, every movie is a reboot. Nothing matters. Like no one knows what's going on. And it's like, how did this happen? How did like, how did nobody have a plan for these? It's so strange. So weird. The the new trilogy is probably the most plotted out that the Halloween franchise has ever been. And even that's kind of a mess. So, well, yeah, even that is like, it really, cause I, I tried to watch kills again. Cause I wanted to like, I wanted to give it a second chance before the new one comes out. God, I, yeah, I really don't like it, but I mean, it really feels as though when they were, there's no way that when they were making that 2018 movie that they knew what was coming and or else they would have set some of that shit up. Like it's like, why wouldn't you set up all of those characters doing some of those things? If you were going to try to make them the main part of the second film in the trilogy, that's, that's the whole point of having the first film, in the trilogy is to set everything up and get all your characters in motion and stuff so that you can have them acting out in the second but they, they obviously didn't have that good of a plan. So, yeah, I don't know. So anyways, my trilogy is one, two, four. That's what I consider the official Halloween trilogy. And I'll stand by it until they, until they reboot it again. And maybe the next time, we'll do, maybe the next direct sequel to part one will actually satisfy me. And I'll be happy with it. Daniel Harris is back. Oh, guess oh. what? My mom died again in a car wreck for real this time. If they brought Danielle Harris back, I would be on board because she is like in part four. She is really the difference between this being like standard slasher and a good movie. And she's just like, like what, nine years old in it or something. And she's like so good, so good. And then even in five, like they made her be like mute and stuff like that's hard for a child actor to act through something like that. And she still pulls it off. So. I, all the credit in the world to her. If she shows up in a Halloween movie, I'll watch it. 
Yeah, it seems like I heard when they announced they were doing the 2018 one, she got a hold of him and was like, I'm totally down for coming back to play Jamie again if we need to. Do you have any plans for that? And they were like, no, thank you. And then, you know, created the new daughter out of nowhere. So, yeah, sure. Like, Never. why wouldn't you? I don't Like, why not have her be the daughter and have her be call her Jamie and then just I don't know because because if they were trying to complete they didn't try to completely separate themselves from the sequels they make all sorts of references to them in those movies that's one of my complaints about those movies <laughs> so but then like why would you bring back the original um, the original girl but not the original Tommy like that, that doesn't make any sense to me either you have two Tommies to choose from you could have brought either one of them back in uh, apparently they did ask Paul Rudd but his schedule like he was somewhat open to doing it, but his schedule just had no time to do it. That so, makes sense. Wish them well and hope that they put in and Anthony Michael Hall did a good performance. To which I, like I Anthony to, Michael. To which I've read Anthony Michael <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall's version of uh Tommy <laughs> is definitely someone who does his own research on vaccines on the internet. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> oh, those new films are a mess, man. I I don't know. I'll probably end up seeing the last one because it's the last one for a while. Yeah. I mean, they probably won't reboot the series until at least a year, year and a half after that comes out. So, um, yeah, but I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I don't even think I'll enjoy it. Probably not. <laughs> uh, did you watch anything else? I did not watch anything else. Uh, I went and saw Don't Worry Darling, which uh, okay. has been in the news a lot for unfortunate reasons. Um, yeah, I've been ignoring all that. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's definitely um, best to go in sort of not knowing anything about the movie. Like, if you've seen a trailer, that's fine. They don't really explain much. Um, but it is a very Stepford Wives sort of situation, it looks like, um, where everybody's sort of living this 1950s, like, existence. And yeah. Shit's not quite as perfect as it seems to be. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, someone told me I didn't like, uh, the big, like sort of when they sort of break down what's going on, I could be like, yeah, I could see that, but it didn't bother me any. Okay. So, um, I don't know. I just thought it was good performances and the mystery going along throughout the movie. I enjoyed, enjoyed kind of just being like, what is going on and trying to figure it out and just sort of playing along like I enjoyed that part of it. So um, that was fun. Right. Yeah, I'm, I want to see that one. I'm hoping to see it before it gets spoiled for me. So we'll see if I pull that off or not. Uh, then I watched a documentary called The Frankenstein Complex figuring, oh, this is a, doc- this is a documentary I just found on Voodoo that Sounds like they're maybe talking about different versions of Frankenstein throughout history. And like that it seems like that would be worth uh, watching for the month of movies that were. Yeah. It turns out I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> but, um, the Frankenstein complex, like that phrase is taking taken from the Frankenstein movies where Dr. Frankenstein calls himself God after creating human being but they use that in terms yeah. of special special effects. 
So this is like an hour and a half long documentary about sort of the evolution of special effects stuff in movies. And they talk to like okay. all the big special effects people. So like Rick Rick Baker, Steve Johnson, uh, I don't know, all the all the big people. And uh, I talked to some of the uh, visual effects people that are working today. And then they do a bunch of like mm-hmm. directors. So they talked to like Guillermo del Toro and Joe Dante, John Landis, and even Kevin Smith at different points. He's going on and on about Star Wars, of course. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of an evolution through like Lon Chaney, like all the way through basically Jurassic Park is the big touch point that they end up getting to of when sort of everything went digital and stuff and how the, uh, the business had to sort of evolve and work along with it and stuff like that. So it's really, it's, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's really interesting to kind of watch how stuff changed throughout history. So that does sound like it's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. You got lucky there, right? Like he watched a documentary that's not about the subject you wanted to, and it turns out to be something you're really interested in. So, yeah. So yeah, it sort of it sort of refers to like the special effects people having the Frankenstein complex where you make a monster and then you step back and you're like, I made it. Like it's it's here, it's real in front of me. So it's sort of that situation. They definitely talk that the eighties was like the big heyday for all that stuff. And you know, like I said, they they talk to like everybody worked during then who's currently working. And just like yeah. Just how like crazy that time period was and everything. And yeah. So it's a real interesting watch. If uh, you're into that kind of stuff, I would say it's a high recommend. Uh, and then the last thing I caught up on uh, Cobra Kai finally. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, this show just keeps getting more and more ridiculous. And I love it even more every season. <laughs> I don't understand why. Because some of it, like some. With the lighting and stuff, I'm like, this looks like Nickelodeon show lighting. <laughs> but then I'm like, nah, but I don't care. The only problem I had with this season is I felt like, especially the first half, I, it's actually probably the same complaint I had about Stranger Things, where it's like everybody was off in their own storylines and not working together on things. Yeah. And that that was bugging me at the beginning, especially because I felt like we weren't getting enough time with the characters, with some of like the teenager characters that I actually like. Those are the ones I find more interesting than the adults. So I thought that was, that was a problematic for me. And the first half of the season, it really fixes it at the end when everybody kind of comes home and they go back to it being Cobra Kai versus Miyagi Do and their stupid arguments. Uh, I just had, I had some weird moments. Cause it's like, I don't know why this should be like amazing to me, but it, it was for some reason. Cause they all exist in the same universe. But the fact that like Mike Barnes shows up and then like the last like couple episodes, it's Mike Barnes, Johnny and chosen like going like, yeah, let's fucking kick that Terry silver guy's ass. And they show up to his house and break down his door. And I'm like, the three sort of villains from the first three Karate Kid movies are now like working together, beating up Terry Silver's like henchmen. So yep. like, this is kind of surreal, and I think I absolutely love it. So it's very strange. <laughs> it's all, it gets. I don't know. Are we in spoiler territory? Is that sure, what we're doing here? Why not? It's been out it long gets, enough. It gets 
utterly ridiculous though at the point of like they invaded this guy's house and like beat up his bodyguards and like people are getting cut with swords and shit (laughs) and then at the end they're like they're breaking into his dojo and then the cops show up and just arrest terry silver and i'm like if you're gonna show up you gotta arrest fucking everybody like there's (laughs) nobody here who didn't commit a crime (laughs) so many of them committed so many crimes like what is going on and it's like the biggest the only one that anybody seems to care about is him cheating in a karate tournament. <laughs> you say it like it's ridiculous, but yeah. Yeah. Like it's, uh, what was it? Oh no, that was it. Cause they couldn't find the footage of him beating up stingray who I'm so happy. Stingray came back. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's such a tool to kill, but I love him. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean fucking Johnny yeah. and Chosen have like a Jaws type scene where they're comparing like all the run-ins they had with Daniel over the year but it goes from like yeah, yeah. fucking Daniel was kind of a punk to oh well Daniel like saved this girl from a typhoon oh yeah well Daniel's such a good guy that blah 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 it's just like <laughs> Jesus Christ it's, oh, it's insane it, it, <laughs> It's just something about the way that they seem to know what they're doing in a way that where you're just like, okay, I think they know how ridiculous this is. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it okay. Because yeah. if they didn't, like if they were trying to play it off as though this this was serious, I don't think they could. But then they try to reinforce it. Like when his Daniel's wife is like, I've had enough of this karate dojo bullshit. I'm going to Ohio to my mom's house for a while. And then we find out that apparently she's cousins with the Daniel's girlfriend from the third movie. And yeah. then she tries to explain like, no, you don't understand the stuff with Terry silver. It's the real shit. Like shit went down. He tried to break up Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And he even attacked me. And I still have nightmares mm-hmm. about it sometimes. And you're like, Oh, so yeah. So see, this is serious. You should be taking this seriously. But then, like I yeah. said, they, <laughs> then like something completely ridiculous happened and you're like, yeah, okay, but now you tried to you win me over how serious this is. But then like this ridiculous shit yeah. happened. So the whole thing where, where she goes and then she gets it. I was going to say like Miguel and Robbie having a fight in the courtyard of the apartment complex. Cause it's the only way their issues and it totally works. I'm like, that's not how that works. No. Well, that was one of my one of my problems with the show this season was I feel like the show sort of started out as like, you know, maybe those lessons from those 80s movies weren't great. Like maybe we should be examining whether Daniel was behaving properly back then. And, you know, maybe and now they are just like, how is there anything more 80s than these two boys can't get along? Let's let them kick each other till they're friends again. Like it sort of feels like it's betraying the basic themes of the show. Yeah. But that was, that was, that was like, I don't know. It felt that way to me anyway. Oh, totally. But then on the other hand, I can't wait till see season six comes out. Yeah. So I did have some issues with Daniel's wife this season, mostly because she was just spoiled rich bitch. And I, I forget. I think we just talked about this recently, but I have a real hard time feeling sorry for rich people when they have like problems with their social standing and they're like, so in this one, she's like turning her back on Daniel. Cause he 
embarrassed her at a cocktail party and now she's not going to be on the board of directors of her favorite charity. <laughs> and I'm like, I couldn't give a fuck. I just, just shut up. You spoiled bitch. Like <laughs> no time for that. I'm like, you're going to leave, with, you're going to leave your husband for that. Like, especially when you know how bad like Terry silver is just as a general human being. Yeah. And you find out this whole thing was just a ploy to get them to show up, to make them look bad. And she has like no sympathy for it. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it was just frustrating. And then the only reason it ends up being the lesson, too, is like she goes, she meets the cousin. The cousin's like, oh, yeah, Terry Silver sucks. And then she gets in her own bar fight. And then she's like, oh, I see. You do have to get into a fight sometimes. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> so she shows back up and now she's on board. And I'm like, I we could have done without that little plot line. Well, I think she's a little bit more on board because Daniel's got the living shit kicked out of him by Terry Silver. But yeah. Yeah, but she no. comes back. Like, she, I don't know if she was planning to come back or not. Yeah. No, what'd you think of season five? Uh, I'm kind of on board with you. I think it got more and more ridiculous, but it's still great. Yeah. I don't understand how it keeps getting as ridiculous as it does. And I keep going, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I want. So let's just keep it going. So now, although, although I'll tell you what, I do feel like the end of this season feels like. If this was the end of the show, I'd be really happy with it. With Kreese escaping from the hospital and just out into the world? Well, yeah, but it's it's one of those things where Kreese is, like, done. You know what I mean? So, he, sure, he's probably going to go karate it up somewhere, but he's going to have to, like, run overseas. Because now he's a fugitive. Yeah, but it's this show. Like, he'll he'll come back and he'll, like, point out that he's not the one that bribed the... the uh, ref in the karate tournament and they'll just forget about everything else and not address the fact that he's a escaped prisoner. That's how that works. And plus we need one more season. Cause I mean, at this point, the only thing left is Hillary Swank has to show. Cause I mean, if she's not going to show up, what's the point of doing another? Season? I don't know. Do we, I've never seen the, the next karate kid or whatever the hell it was called in full. So I don't know if I feel the need to have her show up or not. Uh, I mean, we just need to complete the complete the series, and then we can be done with it. Is she even act still? It yeah. suddenly occurs to me that I have no idea. She's on. I haven't a, seen her in anything in a while. She's on an NBC series or ABC series oh, okay. or something. Uh, but she's been it asked multiple matter. times, and uh, the creators have said uh, there's been talks, and she's been asked in interviews, and she's like, uh, "Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to answer any." Uh, Questions that don't have to do with the show I'm promoting. So everybody's being real coy about if it's going to happen or not. Well, now I don't like her. I had no opinion of Hillary Swank at the beginning of this conversation, and now I don't like her. To be fair, I think she's just trying to keep the keep the mystery alive, and so that when she does show up, people excited. Well, hopefully, we'll see. I don't like that answer. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right, Doug. What Dracula and Frankenstein movies are we doing next week? No, are you ready? Sure. Next weekend is Andy Warhol week. Yay. <laughs> Flesh for, for Frankenstein and blood for Dracula. Uh, what was what was that misspeak? Was that going to be fresh for Frankenstein? <laughs> Maybe. I should have pointed that out earlier instead of waiting for myself to misspeak and then trying to make up excuses. But uh, yeah, I think both of these are actually video nasties. So uh, nice. I have seen Flesh for Frankenstein. It is 
pretty fucked up as I recall. I've never seen Blood for Dracula, so I have to uh, have to see if that's any good. I imagine it's probably not a traditional retelling of the story, considering it's produced by Andy Warhol. So, have you guys seen these ones before at all? I have not. No. All right. I'll, been, I won't say anything else my, then. They've been on my list for a real long time. Yeah. I. No, we'll we'll talk about them next week. I don't want to say anything. You guys just don't don't read anything. Go in to watch them. See what see what you think. <laughs> uh, is it time to get into Barbarian? Yeah, it makes sense. So anybody who has not seen it should not listen from this point forward. Oh my god, it's a Barbarian. If you, if, if you haven't seen it yet, highly recommend you do not listen. Go see it. Come back and listen. Because I yeah. feel like this this movie yeah. is infinitely better if you just know nothing going. Yeah, on. I agree. Like I think the 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 biggest compliment I can say is the trailer does a perfect job of setting this movie up, getting you interested in seeing it, without spoiling any of the stuff we're about to talk about. So, um, all right. Well, two people uh, seem like they double book a uh, uh, Airbnb. Finds out there's weird shit in the basement. And go. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. So, Noah, you said you absolutely love this? Oh, yeah. I don't. I. The only note I have for this movie is I feel like the pacing is weird. It's really roller coastery. I feel it's by design, though. Yeah, I think it is. I just don't. I, I think I don't. I don't know. Something about it is a little disengaging. It's still great. I don't have any complaints, but fuck, fuck me, fuck me in this movie. <laughs> so, oh my god, when that when that horrible naked mutant lady, you see her the first time, you're like, what in the fuck just happened? Yep. Well, and then I love that that's followed movie. up by you going, wait, Justin Long's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that first kill where that guy gets his head bashed into the wall there, it's up until the moment of the kill, you have no idea if he's the bad guy or not in this movie. Like, yeah. you still think he might be. And then he's just taken out. And then that hard tonal shift to Justin Long as a douchebag in L.A., <laughs> like, right away, that is, that works perfect. That work, It worked perfect. Um. I can't I can't imagine like I I really enjoyed all the stuff with the two people in the house. Some of the peripheral stuff I thought was a bit cheesy, but the two people in the house, I thought they played off each other perfect. I thought he was like creepy enough where he could be the villain, but also like might just be a guy who accidentally booked a double booked an Airbnb. Like I I didn't know what was going to happen. I think everyone's primed to think of him as Pennywise now, Yeah, which makes the casting kind of good. He looks kind of evil, right? That's <laughs> all there is to it. And uh, so all that really worked well. That that tonal shift, though, I cannot. It So many movies have tried it and so few are successful at just hard cut. We're in a different story. Everything is different. The look, the feel of the movie is just totally different now. <laughs> Fucking get used to it. And we're not going to explain why for a while. Like, it takes a while for him to get back to that house, which is like. Oh, you're like, oh, this is how they're going to tie in these two storylines. Right now, we were just—I thought we were just in like a a rom com about a guy who's a, who loses his acting career due to Me Too situations. Yeah, 
Yeah, so we went and saw with a couple that, friends of mine. That character was problematic. Uh, Justin Long's character? Oh, oh yeah. The, the rapist guy? Yeah. You found him problematic? <laughs> well, because okay. they kept... The problem is, with the, once again, with the way the story works and you're not sure which way everything's going to go... Toward the end of the movie, you're almost like, oh, my God, are they going to do a redemption arc after basically admitting that this guy just raped a woman? Like, <laughs> it's not, so not weird, a good though, plan. Turns out, no. The whole, the, the whole like, rape storyline is handled in such a weird way because it's like, at first, they play it up as if he's being accused of something he didn't do. Like, because he's our point of view character at that point, and he's adamant that he did nothing wrong and then he starts like acknowledging that maybe it was a bit creepy and then we get that weird moment where he like calls the victim and is like look you know like two people can see things in different ways and it doesn't necessarily mean either one of us is wrong and i'm like don't like this is not the movie for that discussion you know what i mean like that's this is not where we need to be getting into the nuances of these situations it's not what we're set up for and so it's kind of like i i don't know if we needed to have any of that in the movie i think it would have probably been better if he had just been i don't know his show just got canceled for whatever other reason and that's why he went back to detroit like there, there could have been any number of reasons that could have been funnier without having to address all that well it's it's interesting so the i find the movie, the name of the movie is kind of cool because it represents so many different things going on in the film. Like, cause the, so the name of the street is Barbary. So technically they are barbarians yeah. because they live on Barbary. <laughs> Funny pun. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, but you have the, the 70s fucking creepy kidnapper rapist murderer is yeah. the barbarian. You have the savage naked fucking whatever the fuck that woman is. Barbarian. Yeah. You have Justin Long is the barbarian. Yeah. And then it kind of ends with uh, her becoming the barbarian. You know what I mean? It's, it, I don't know. I just yeah. thought I was like, that's actually that's pretty right. well written. Yeah. So did you guys find the Justin Long character to be a little bit inconsistent? Putting aside all the other stuff we've already talked about, like I found there were moments where he was acting heroic and other moments where very clearly he is not heroic. And I found those two kind of contradictory. That bugged well, anybody else? I think, I think the more I sit here and think about it, does he? Does he ever act heroic one time? There are moments yeah. where it seems like he is. But there are also moments that if you really think about it, they're self-serving. You know what I mean? Like he shoots, he shoots the girl and then he, of course he's carrying her out, but he's carrying her out because like he thinks he's got it. And now he gets to be the hero, which is going to get rid of all of his problems because pretty yeah, much every to... time the only, the only time you think maybe, maybe he's being heroic is whenever they're at the homeless guy's shack and he's like, no, we've got to get her to a hospital. And I think, I don't know, once again, I don't think that's him being heroic. I think that's him panicking. And we're, meant, I mean, to, we're meant to take it as him turning heroic. 
so that then whenever he throws her off the top of <laughs> the fucking silo. Yeah. See, and I guess I did take it as him turning heroic. And maybe this is where it's one too many shifts in the movie where I'm just like, to me, it felt like another, like a, an inconsistent character. Like he's saving her. He's saving her. He's saving her. Oh, she's suddenly inconvenient. Now he's not going to save her. And I, yeah. the way it was played up, like I thought he was genuinely trying to save her. I never no. thought about what his motivations were besides saving her. I thought he felt really bad when he shot her. And then yet he's willing to throw her off the silo. Well, I think he did feel bad shooting her because he didn't mean to shoot her. But it was an accident. Yeah. yeah, but I think the character, I think the whole idea is that almost everything he does is performative, right? He's an actor because whenever he's at the bar and that guy asks him what happens and he describes that situation, it becomes real clear, real fast that he raped that girl. You know what I mean? And Did that it? he's just he's he's constructing a narrative where he didn't rape her, but he's he raped her. <laughs> where he's he's like, no, she was into it. Well, we'll not at first. I don't know I if mean, that is clear. I don't know. I think it is. I think it's pretty clear that in his head, he didn't do anything wrong. But I think even if he thinks about it for more than a couple seconds, he knows he did something wrong, which is the whole thing with the phone call. Where then he goes back to the house and he makes that drunken phone call to the girl he's not supposed to talk to who's accusing him of rape. And even that turns into some gaslighting stuff where he's like, I want to apologize and then he immediately says, you know, people can see the thing different ways, you know, <laughs> and it's like, no, yeah. you just you, but you just said you were going to apologize. And now you're saying, yeah, maybe you got it wrong. Well, and he does end that call with saying he, he's not mad at her. <laughs> right. Um, right. Which is interesting. Yeah, I guess because just... it's performative. I, I feel like the same thing whenever he comes across the. uh the fucking dirty fucking serial rapist that's been living in that basement for fucking 30 years. What the fuck, man? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he has that outrage moment where he finds the tapes. And I think part of his outrage is supposed to be that, oh, look, this guy is worse than me. So I'm not bad. Look at how bad you are. Yeah, see, I didn't get any of that from the film. I see the point you're making, but when I was watching the movie, I was thinking he's just disgusted and caught off guard by these things he's seeing. Well, well, and I think you're supposed to. I, th I think that's the whole trick of the movie, that you're supposed to see them all that way. And it's not until it's all contextualized at the end that, yeah. you know what I mean? Whenever he throws her off the thing at the end, you're like, oh, okay. So he's just a giant fucking garbage person and has been the entire time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it since the week it came out. A lot of these nuances have been lost. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a little weird on the fact that they went with the idea of, okay, so you've got this inbred <laughs> fucking woman just... Seriously, what the fuck, man? That that the visuals of that's just so fucked. And we haven't mentioned that she wants to kidnap these people and keep them as her babies. <laughs> By the way, just in case anyone was thinking about it. Yeah, but they're pulling a hills have eyes type thing where they're like, she's inbred, so she's superhuman, and you're like, eh, usually it's the opposite. Usually, I, uh, they don't get superpowers. I, they I get they get deformities. Yeah. I described, and shit. I described but, this movie to somebody as people under the stairs meets wrong turn. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah, see I, that. Uh, it's got a little bit of Texas chainsaw massacre in it. Yeah, it's it's good. 
it's got a little bit of uh oh god damn it what's the one with Stephen lang don't breathe don't breathe because it's kind of that yeah. urban decay on the edge of detroit type thing I don't know. I was trying to explain it to a friend without spoiling it. And he said, oh, I've heard it's real original. And I was like, see, but I don't that's not accurate. It's not exactly that it's original. It's taking a lot of ideas that have been done before and repackaging them. In a unique delivery. Yeah. Which is great. Like there's (laughs) once again, I got. I got no notes for this movie. I I kind of the only thing that upsets me about this movie is I kind of like it whenever a movie goes berserk and then stays berserk. And this movie goes berserk and then comes to an absolute halt and then goes berserk again. Yeah. I do like the scene where Justin Long is fucking tape measuring everything in the basement. I fucking I felt like <laughs> such an idiot. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. When he, I'm trying to remember what point it is. I think it's the point where he sees the dog cages that are covered in human blood. And he goes, what is that? And then you hear, and it's him crawling along the floor, measuring that little spot. (laughs) I laughed so fucking loud in that movie theater and no one else did. And I was like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) oh, no. Now I'm the sicko in the theater. Great. And I'm the person here all by myself. <laughs> what? This isn't something Char would want to see? <laughs> Fuck. I texted her right after the movie and I was like, you would not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just every, I mean, like when, when the, when the movie's doing its horror stuff, it's just it's effective both in the shit's kind of scary and it it builds tension and all that kind of stuff. And but then, man, it just grows you out too when she's trying to force her dirty, gross, unwashed titty into fucking Justin's long mouth. I was like, oh, yeah. oh God. <laughs> yeah. All that shit was gross. Uh, so much fun. I'm curious how a second viewing of this would work, though. Like, would it would it still work, or is it just once you know the secret, it's kind of doesn't come across very well? I don't know. I kind of want to watch it again just to see if I can figure out what Noah's talking about with the Justin Long character. Yeah, that makes sense. yeah, it's fa- it's fascinating. Well, and so here's here's one of the things. So I saw this before Smile, which maybe that's one of the reasons why I like Smile less. But it, what I was going to say, this so is the horror in this. It's so effective. And smile is all fucking jump scares and forced mood with loud soundtrack stuff. Okay. You know what I mean? Where they just bury you in some soundtrack to make you be like, this is a scary moment. And it's like, yeah, well, you could just fucking make it scary instead of fucking doing that. Yeah, they think that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. This this one, it it fucked it fucked up that other movie because I was like, well, this sucks. That other movie was so good. <laughs> this movie sucks. Guess guess what? All the freaky bits in Smile are in the goddamn trailer. Of course they are. None of the freaky bits yeah, are fucking surprising. barbarians in the trailer. Oh, yeah. Barbarian barely tells you anything about the movie. 
is great. Oh, I yeah. wish, man, I wish we would go back to that. I actually like trailers that are non-footage trailers, where the trailers like an actor talking about the movie or something, like the Deadpool three stuff with fucking <laughs> Ryan Reynolds just talking that, on a couch. It is super fun. Right, can't complain I, about that. So. Yeah, and it spoils nothing. It doesn't ruin anything in the movie. You're not robbed of any moments. Yep. No, I agree. Trailers are problematic today. They're made for an, uh, a different generation of film goer that doesn't want to be surprised in the theater, which I find very strange. But Fucking YouTube man has ruined everybody. You think you think maybe it's tied into the the concept of trigger warnings? You think they put everything in the trailer so that you can't be like, "Oh my god, nobody told me that there would be a <laughs> a naked fucking inbred woman in this film." I think it has more to do with just the the modern generation is used to you know watching things with their phone in their hand and they're not used to thinking about it as much and they want to know exactly what they're getting so that they can kind of be drifting off while they're watching it. Nephew was watching Breaking Bad that way yep. on his bed watching it on his, on his cell phone. I'm like, you kidding me? Watching that on your cell phone? Yep. People do it, man. Yes. I have to watch like a five minute YouTube video on my phone. I'm like, this blows. Where's my TV? All right. So I think we're all in agreement. Barbarian. Awesome. Yeah. I reckon. I don't think I like it as much as Noah did, but I still... It's still a huge recommend. Like, and uh, if anybody's wondering, Scott went and saw it as well. Absolutely love. Well, no one cares. I guess steals our podcast ideas. And you're trying to give him <laughs> extra credit. Now. Should we see what he's going to do next week? Do you think he's going to do an Andy Warhol movie? Probably. I can only assume. He's probably trying to listen in on this right now. Somehow hiding on the call. <laughs> I hope he is. That's, that'd be amazing. He's just sitting there quietly this whole time, trying to one up us. So that both of his listeners will like <laughs> think that he had the idea first. I'll and steal both of our I'll, listeners. I'll steal their four listeners. I'll show them. I'll steal the ideas from this, by definition, unsuccessful podcast. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.